Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gagan Pressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and joining me, as always, is the Football Grad Network uh, creator, also contributor to Forbes and Transfer Market, Manu Vett. Manu, how you been? Yeah, I'm really good. Uh, really good. Very, very busy. The new job at Transfermarkt keeps me extremely busy, but it's been a lot of fun and um, it's been a lot of fun covering a lot of transfers around the world. So I've been really enjoying the work, Bryce. Yeah, it's a very busy time of year for transfers, isn't it? With that transfer window opening up in January. A lot going on, a lot to report, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, I've obviously returned to the pod, um, you know, after the winter break, a little bit like Jaden Sancho returns after an international break. But joining uh, Manu and I this week, as always, is, again, Forbes um, and football journalist Chris Williams. Chris, how you been? I'm tired, Bryce. I don't normally like complaining about being tired because I'm very lucky to get to travel across Germany watching football. But I saw three matches in three days, um, even in the um, Ruhr region. Um, it is still quite tiring, but I'd rather do that than anything else. So I can't complain too much, but yeah, I'm pretty tired, I'm going to admit it. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I've heard that you've been up rather early this morning, uh, this Monday morning. So let's crack on, will we? We've got plenty to talk about. And Chris, I'll probably end up going to you first about that Friday night game as Borussia Dortmund beat Cologne 5-1. And there's only one man that anyone is talking about. And, of course, that is Haaland as he came off the bench once again. Unfortunately, the poor fella only got two this week. So, yes, that's five in total from two substitution appearances. Uh, Chris, um, what was the atmosphere like when Haaland got another goal? Was it any more rupturous than, than normal uh, in Dortmund? I mean, it. You just feel that, you know, the atmosphere couldn't be much better. But, you know, now they really have something else to be so excited about. Yeah, obviously the atmosphere at Signal Iduna Park is um, unbelievable. And I do like a Friday night game there. There's something special about being under the lights. It almost feels quite European. Um, and it's that time of year where it's very cold in Germany and there's that little crisp bite in the air which for me is is when football should be played it should be played under the lights in the cold that is football for me um and, and Borussia Dortmund were just 
fantastic. I mean, Manu and I had a chat before the match kicked off um, and we were a little critical of Lucien Favre because he picked the same side that struggled initially against Augsburg. And, and both Manu and I said, is he ever going to learn? Every time he seems to move a little bit forward at Dortmund, Favre can do something a little bit strange, which moves them backwards. And for me, not starting Haaland looked like to be a bad move. But hey, what do I know? I only write about football. I, I'm not a coach uh, as as highly qualified as Lucien Favre. And Dortmund um, flew into lead, Bryce. I think it was 56 seconds um, when Rafael Guerrero scored. And that sort of set the tone for the whole game and, and pretty much the whole match day um, across Germany. There were some goals flying in everywhere. But Dortmund were... Yeah, they were very, very good. Um, Paul Cologne looked like a side that have got um, got issues and problems and, and that may continue towards the end of the season. But it was all going well. And yeah, uh, I suppose um, it was the right time to bring Haaland on. Um, Mark Uta just got a goal back um, for Cologne. So um, I think, you know, it was... Um, it was it, it was sort of a, a strange time for him to come on because everybody was like, oh, we've just had a goal back. But, I mean, Dortmund was so good. And Haaland came on. Um, first goal is a poacher's goal, Bryce. Um, a, a good centre-forwards goal. Um, right place, right time. Second, um, I could only describe it um, both from a report on um, footballstat.com, um, which you can find, obviously, online or via the One Football app, and also a piece I did on Forbes and for the International Champions Cup, I called it world-class because it simply was a world-class finish. Um, from the tightest of angles, um, you guys will know, and people that listen will know, I'm not a big fan of XG, um, but it does have its uses. And when you've got an expected goal of 0.06 and you can score from it, that tells me you're a very good striker. Um, and yeah, Haaland, five goals, two games, new Bundesliga records. Um, let's not forget Jaden Sancho played wonderfully as well. Um, it was all in all a really good night for Dortmund. The only person I did feel sorry for um, was Paco Alcacer, who I saw leave the mix zone, wrapped up um, with just his eyes showing, um, didn't look particularly happy, and, and nobody wanted to speak to him. So I think maybe um, his time is coming to an end at Borussia Dortmund, and I think even he knows by seeing what Haaland's done that, uh, that yeah, an exit's near. Yeah, maybe a difficult time ahead for Paco Alcazar. You mentioned uh, Jaden Sancho. He got his 11th goal and assist in this game. He's continuing a fine form there. But Chris, just uh, one more thing on Haaland. Uh, as he comes on the field, he's more of an out-and-out striker. Does that possibly change the dynamic, uh, maybe even the formation of Dortmund uh, when on the field? We're, you know, we're used to seeing... Yeah, more kind of attacking forwards or attacking midfielders um, up top in Sancho, Hazard and Royce. But he's more out and out, isn't he? Yeah, he is more an out-and-out striker. Um, it was quite interesting to see um, Lucien Favre shape up with uh, with a, a two up front. So Sancho and Hazard were um, looked like the initial um, strikers that that were ahead. So... And Royce was slapped slightly behind, um, which was interesting for me because I think to get the best out of Haaland, he's going to have to play either a one-up top or, or a mixture of two. Um, I think Haaland's talented. He could fit into a three, but I think that the, you get the more strengths out of him if he plays with a partner or a solitary striker. I think Haaland's second goal, um, Bruce Dortmund's fifth, um, highlighted a real key area, and that is Haaland is a striker you can play a long ball to very quickly, 
he's got the speed and he's got the skill to also do what he did against Timo Horn, round a keeper and score, and be that from an angle or, or be a straightforward shot. Um, but I think he adds a Timo Werner style to um, Borussia Dortmund, which is what they've been missing because what they did in this game was kill the game when they could. Um, and that has been a criticism of Dortmund of late is maybe they haven't taken their opportunities when they've been on top in a game and they've allowed teams to get back in it. So I think the arrival of, of Haaland will see them um, maybe go... They, they could even go um, 4-2-3-1 if they wanted with him up there and, and maybe almost a heart back to what Klopp used to play um, You know, with uh, uh, when he brought Aubameyang from the left into the central player. So... Um, there's lots of options, and I think that can only be a good thing. Um, and I think more impressively for Dortmund is they, they only leaked the one goal, which um, has been an issue of late for them. So, so yeah, an all-round a good night for them, but especially for um, for Halland, who was given a hero's reception when he came onto the pitch. But after that second goal, um, you know, everybody was in love with him, not just on the yellow wall, but the whole stadium. In fact, when I was walking back to get my um, S-Bahn back to... Uh, the suburb just outside of Dortmund I was staying, there was just random shouts of Haaland going on. So he's already making a name for himself. Yes, he is indeed. Um, Manu, if we uh, just uh, move to you, I mean, how do you feel about this? I mean, everyone's obviously getting very excited. Dortmund are looking so positive. Uh, They're only four points off the top. You know, RB Leipzig sitting in 40 points and Dortmund at 36 you know, are they back in the title race now? You know, or is uh, is there still work to be done? A bit more convincing. Oh, I think they're absolutely back in the title race. I think the title race is going to be three teams: Leipzig, Bayern, and Dortmund. And you know, the reason why those three teams are going to be the three teams battling it out in the title until the end of the season is because they all three have a typical number nine that can guarantee goals. And Dortmund was lacking that for the first half of the season. Now they got it, and. I think in many ways that was a missing piece. So yeah, absolutely, they're back in the title race. Manu, obviously, Haaland's proving to be you know a vital uh, signing in January for Dortmund, but he may not be the only man to come in, um, and a very important, a possibly a missing link, as you said, could be added to the squad in the coming days. Yeah, that's Emre Can and. That's a transfer that Chris and I have discussed before. I know Chris um, spoke very highly of him and he, he left Liverpool, right, to go to Juventus. And um, I think things didn't quite work out the way he thought they would at Juventus. And um, I, I think I understood the move, why he made the move. Um, he's under, First of all, there's a big paycheck that awaited him there. Um, Juventus perceived at the time were one of those big royalty clubs, you know. Um, I don't think you could expect this sort of season that Liverpool play right now on the club so I think it, it, it kind of made sense for him at the time but it didn't really work out um, for for him um, he's under he makes 14 million euros a year there at Juventus and Juventus initially asked for 30 million euros so that would have been enough uh, too much for Dortmund to make this deal complete now we've been covering this transfer quite intensely over on Transfermarkt and it's it appears like that Juventus have budged a little bit on that initial 30 million euros demand that they are willing to offer a loan to buy deal which means that Dortmund could essentially sign him for next to nothing in the winter and then buy him next summer if if they choose to do so right and Emerson also knowing that the European Championships coming around uh, the corner is willing to 
forego some of his salary, go down from 40 million a year to 10 million euros a year, which would put him in the same ballpark figure um, as as some of the other top players at Dortmund at the moment, right? And would be a much more um, considerable wage for them to to justify. And I think that it is a deal that's very much possible. And I think it is a very important deal for Borussia Dortmund because Emrechan essentially comes in not to play in defensive midfield. I think they're very, very, they, they have a very good player in that area already in Axel Witzel. Although, you know, if he needs to, Sean can play there. But he, he's coming essentially in as a center back to play next to Mats Hummers. Um, Manuel Akanji, very, very talented center back. And he's not going anywhere, by the way. Then, I mean, this, this is a deal that would bring in Emrechan in as a center back option. But, Akanji would not necessarily leave the club, but I feel that Akanji needs a few breaks and Dortmund need a bit more stability in the defensive line. And I think Emre Can, with all his experience that he has, having played for Klopp in the past, having played at Turin, although it didn't work out, he's a German national team player. I think he would bring that to them. And, you know, Matthias Sommer, who is a consultant at the club, is a huge fan of Emre Can. And, um, once actually called Emre Can his favorite youth player. And I think this is a Matthias Summer signing. You know, that, that there's a Matthias Summer stamp all over the signing if it happens. The same with Haaland, by the way. Though that another character player that they brought in, you know, just to bring that a little bit extra. Matthias Summer is a proven, proven winner. And when he, he brings in players that have that extra, a little bit edge of mentality. And I think Emre Can could bring that. And a centre-back pairing of Emre Can and Mats Hummels does indeed sound very enticing because not all, not all of a sudden you don't only have one of the best strikers in the Bundesliga, but you might also have one of the best centre-back pairings. Yeah, very exciting times for Borussia Dortmund, especially if they can get that signing over the line. Let's go to another club which has been active in the transfer market and talk about RB Leipzig. So, not so good in the Bundesliga this weekend for Julian Nagelsmann and his men, especially in the search for that Bundesliga title. They managed to lose 2-0 on Saturday to Eintracht Frankfurt, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But, uh, Manu, we're going to go back to you and talk about their signing, which they also made on Saturday, Danny Olmo. Uh, What can you tell us about this um, attacking youngster? I would imagine that you are a little bit more clued up than the rest of us on this one. Yeah, I actually wrote the text um, on Transfermarkt on this in English, right? We we covered this. Tran- we do a few transfers. The big ones we cover in multiple languages. Um, this was one of them. So I, I did the, the English text on that. It's on Transfermarkt.us, Transfermarkt.com and Transfermarkt.co.uk. I know it's a lot of different platforms. But I... I mean, in the end, it wasn't a big surprise that he ended up there because there was enough signs pointing to it. But I think if you had said three, four months ago, Dani Olmo is going to RB Leipzig, I think a lot of people would have been surprised because he was linked to a lot of clubs um, in Italy. Milan was one of them. Juventus were linked to him at one point. Barcelona, where he played in the youth academy, you have to remember Dani Olmo is a Dinamo Sacre player or was a Dinamo Sacre player and joined Leipzig from Dinamo Sacre. But he he's actually played in Barcelona until he was about 15 and then moved to Dinamo Sacre for his youth development. So he's a Spaniard where he developed in the Croatian football setup, which is an interesting one. But he was also highly highly sought after talent for, for many, many clubs. And then about a couple of weeks ago, it emerged that Leipzig was the possible destination. And I think if Leipzig had not signed Julian Nagelsmann 
last summer brought him in, this would not have been a deal for them to make possible. But Julian Nagelsmann, I think, around uh, Europe is seen as a coach who is making players better. He's seen as the the, the next big thing, you know, um, the next Pep Guardiola, the next Jurgen Klopp, you name it. You know, Nagelsmann is connected to those kind of personalities. And I think sometimes players just want to play for a certain coach. And yes, Leipzig has a wonderful setup. Yes, the city is great. Yes, they could win a Bundesliga title. But I think this has come very much down to Danny Olmo wanting to play for Julian Nagelsmann. And that is just something where I personally think, and I know Chris, you wrote an article about this, when Leipzig brought in Julian Nagelsmann in the summer, they basically connected all the good work that they were already doing with the enormous amount of money that they have available, with the huge scouting network that's backed up, with the feeder clubs that they have in place all over the world, with a head coach that can form players. And I think Danny Olmo is a player who want to play for Nagelsmann. That's my impression anyways. And I think, you know, Chris, curious to hear what you think, but I think Nagelsmann gets them players that they before that wouldn't have gotten. Most definitely. I think Julian Nagelsmann going to RB Leipzig, we all said it, um, could be a game changer for Leipzig because he is one of the most chased young managers across Europe. I mean, if you look at some of the teams he's been um, mentioned with regard to joining potentially, at one point, was he going to move to Bayern after he'd been at Hoffenheim? Was he going to go to Manchester United? Was he going to go to Italy? Was he even going to go to Spain at Barcelona at one point? So he's held in high regard because of his age. He is very young. Was he 31 max, I think? 31, 32 maybe now. Um, remember when we started doing this podcast, he, he, he was in his late 20s, I think. So um, he's got so much time to develop as a coach um, and he's got the right development areas to do that at Leipzig and I think you're quite right Manu Leipzig have got everything they require to build a successful club but you need a manager and they've now got a a name who will draw in players um, maybe not necessarily bona fide already made stars but they will they will appeal to younger talented players who will go yeah do you want to know I want to work under Julian Nagelsmann I mean look at Timo Werner there was an argument that maybe he could have gone to Bayern in the summer, but he wanted to work under Nagelsmann. And I think young players um, you know, that are below 25 want to work with a coach like Nagelsmann because they know they can make the development. And I know Leipzig might not like this, but they're getting players in and they're turning, um, they're turning good scouted players into stars and then they're selling them on for, for a high profit. And I think that's one avenue that Leipzig can be real good at because they need to adhere to financial fair play they can't just pump a load of red bull money and they need to be self-sufficient um, and they can do this by coaching young players with nagelsman in charge uh, and then making a handsome profit on them doesn't necessarily make them a selling club it makes them a club that is attractive to young players who want to develop to the highest level yeah so let's talk a little bit about the game on saturday um obviously rb leipzig losing a 2-0 to Eintracht frankfurt um Eintracht, uh, a side that you know, going into the season had quite a few replacements to make, especially up top. Uh, Manu, what exactly happened in this game? Was it that Eintracht had a fantastic plan and they managed to outwit uh, Nagelsmann? Or was it just a bad day at the office for RB Leipzig? Yeah, I think it was a combination of both. I mean, that Frankfurt under Hardy Hütter, you, you saw it already on the first match day after the winter break. 
they they looked much better organized and they 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 were a team that really needed the winter to sort themselves out a little bit and i think their match plan was to keep leipzig away from the danger areas um keep them from scoring as long as possible and then maybe put in one or two themselves and win this game and that's exactly what they did um what is really in the first half you know leipzig were very good and uh, they should have probably scored two or three and and seen this game off but then um frankfurt in the second half i was really impressed how they really kept leipzig away from from that Chris already said the XG, so I'm going to use it as well. But they kept them away from high XG possibility scoring areas. And I, I thought that was very impressive. And, and Nagelsmann was very upset after the game. Um, on, you know, quite frankly, rightfully so. Because Leipzig just lacked the penetration to get into that final third. But, you know, you can't get into that final third if the other side makes it pretty much impossible. And that that's what Frankfurt did. I think that maybe for Leipzig they're going to learn quite a bit a bit about this game because um they had this ability and Chris spoke to Tyler Adams last week right they had that ability to when things don't quite work in the first half to just turn it on a little bit and just the goals would come automatically and I think maybe this is a good lesson for them that no if you want to win the title things are not going to come to you automatically you have to be at your best in every game throughout the game and that doesn't that includes the first half as well right so i think maybe for them this is a good lesson it's going to be really interesting to see what they're going to take away from this lesson because as nagelsmann pointed out in various media outlets they have a glorious opportunity to win the title um, they are at the top of the pack they're the team that's being chased and it's now up to the players and this is more or less what he said to get this job done right and it is a question of mentality and, and whether the players have the mentality to do get this job done so to answer your question Bryce I think it was a multitude of different things Frankfurt doing a very good job but Leipzig maybe just not showing the fortitude required to, to get this game across the line yeah and that leaves them uh, just um, atop of the pile uh, one point ahead of Bayern Munich, who we will talk about very shortly. RB Leipzig will be facing Borussia Mönchengladbach next, who are sitting in third place with 38 points. And we're going to go to Chris on this, as he was there over the weekend with a 3-1 victory over Mainz. Chris, how was the game? Uh, yeah, it was good. Um, good game. Any game that ends 3-1 is always a good game to watch, Bryce. Um, yeah, it's, it's a nice place to watch football, um, Borussia Park. Um, I was visited by an owl before the game kicked off. You might have saw that on Twitter. Um, yeah, that was that was quite strange. But um, yeah, Gladbach got back to winning ways under Marco Rosa, but they weren't necessarily um, that convincing first half. I think any other side apart from Mainz um, would have been um, in the lead more considerably than they were at 1-0. Um, and it was a great goal that put them 1-0. But um, player got a brace and then um, Florian Nehau scored um, a simply fantastic goal from distance, um, turned and shot um, and, and, and lobbed the keeper. Absolutely no dramas. Um, it was it was a real funny um, a funny goal to watch. Sentner was backtracking as quickly as he could, but he just couldn't get to it. It's a wonderful finish. It's about 40, 42 yards out, um, top corner. So it's a goal that um, he probably won't score again in his career. 
Um, we might do it next week now I've said that. But um, yeah, Gladbach looked to be a lot better. Um, they, I think, unfortunately for them, they just had a little bit of a stumble at the wrong time and, and Bayern um, caught up. Obviously, Leipzig have extended. Dortmund uh, are now breathing um, heavily down um, the neck to, to get back to the top of the table. So um, yeah, Gladbach's run... Um, a run at the title, I think, has probably slipped away from them. But it should be all about European football next year, Champions League football. And whether they can do it or not is a different matter, Bryce. And Chris, just before we move on and we talk about uh, champions at Bayern Munich uh, and their uh, well, rather impressive performance against Schalke, uh, we'll just look into uh, next week. And late kickoff on Saturday is that RB Leipzig, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach game that I've mentioned um, how do you see that going? Obviously, um, RB Leipzig have been very strong this year. So have Gladbach. Gladbach have started the second half of the season very strongly. Do you see... Well, well, which way do you see it going? I would have said maybe Gladbach had a, a bit of a better chance had they been at home. But um, Leipzig have looked very good in a Red Bull arena. Um, I was there last weekend, which seems like a lifetime ago now, Um where they dispatched Union Berlin very quickly um, in the second half. So it's going to be a tough one um, for Borussia Mönchengladbach. I, I would say, though, un- under current form, I mean, take out the result against Frankfurt because Leipzig had 22 shots on goal. I, I would say quite confidently that they have, if they get 22 shots on goal, 12 of them inside the box, um, then I think the scoreline will be a lot different on Saturday night at, at half past six in Germany. So um, I, I'm going to opt for um, Leipzig to get back to winning ways in that, Bryce. Yeah, that'll be an exciting one. I'd say definitely if you have the opportunity, tune in to that one. OK, um, Manu, we're going to talk a little bit about Bayern and a rather convincing 5-0 victory over David Wagner's Schalke. Uh, We were all full of praise about how positive things had been for Schalke this year under David Wagner. Um, And it just wasn't very positive on this occasion, was it? Um, So I I suppose the main talking point uh, leading up to the game was the change in goalkeepers. Alexander Nubel has um, agreed to join Bayern Munich in the summer. That means that somebody's going to have to replace him. Manu, how did he get on? Marcus Schubert, yeah. Um, he had an unfortunate game, I would say. Uh, it's going to raise a lot of questions whether Alexander Nübel is going to come back in when his four-match ban um, ends. And, you know, next week, weekend his four-match ban um, is, is over and he, he will be eligible to play again. Whether Schalke are going to make the switch, bring Nubel back in, even though he is joining Bayern Munich in the summer, or if they're going to stick it out with, with Marcus Schubert. It, it's a difficult one because Marcus Schubert is obviously a very, very talented goalkeeper. And I think that he is the future for Schalke, especially with Nubel gone. At the same time, do you then... What is the best thing moving forward, right? Do you protect a young goalkeeper like Schubert by taking him off? Or do you just put him straight back into the next match to, you know, basically get his confidence back up? But what happens then if he concedes another two or three? Because the thing is, Schubert made a few good saves. But every time a high ball sailed into that penalty box, I think Chris had a very nice word for him, so I'm letting him use it. But every time a high ball... um 
floated into that penalty box, he was basically lost. Um, you know, he he kind of he kind of looked like he was catching flies, and that is just something that in the Allianz Arena you will get battered. You know, every single mistake you will just get smashed, and that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, but at the same time, I don't want to necessarily put it all on Schubert either. I think that Schalke just in general were not very good. And maybe the one thing that you can take away from that for David Wagner is that it is maybe a little bit of a lesson for him that you have to play just a bit different when you play in the Allianz Arena. I remember, I think Jürgen Klopp, first time he faced Bayern is stop on coach. He also lost five now. So maybe there's a positive to take away there. Yeah, we're clutching at the uh, positives there, I think. Uh, uh, Chris, um, I just uh, want to know what that word was that um, that uh, Manu was referring to about these high balls into the box for Marcus Schubert. I can't quite remember what I said because I was on the way back um, from um, Gladbach. Obviously, the game against Schalke was the uh, the top spiel, the, the late kickoff, and I had to wait for a bus and then two trains and then another bus. So I didn't see the highlights of this game until I got back to my hotel um, where I was less than complimentary. So um, it won't have been the nicest of, of terms that described him, and I can't for the life of remember what I said, Bryce. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just echo what Manu said. He fumbled the first um, goal. Um, though he fumbles the first opportunity, which then hands um, Bayern theirs on a plate. And, and then the last, I think it's Gnabry's goal. I don't know what he's doing with his ankle. Um, and yeah, it's a difficult one, I think, for, for David Wagner because like Alexander Nubel's pretty much frozen out, stripped of the captaincy because you know he wants to go on to Bayern, which you can understand. But what do you do? Do you do, you do that at the detriment of your own team going forward? It, it's a tough one. It's almost... A little bit like the problem they had when Leon Goretzka decided that he wanted to leave Schalke. What do you do with him? Do you play him or do you send a clear message out? So it's going to be an interesting one for for David Wagner um, and and for Schalke. I feel like you can only lose in this one because on the one hand, you want to play Schubert because he's your future. But is it the best for him personally to go back in? Or do you put Nübel back in, who is going to be under a ton of criticism, right? I, it's such a difficult one all around, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I'm sure David Wagner will make the decision that's best for Schalke in the end. Um, and if that means bringing back in a player that, you know, they decided to um, maybe lay down the law to, I don't think it'll be humble pie because at the end of the day, they want the club to finish as high as possible. I know I, I, I spoke with Jochen Schneider in October and he said it doesn't really matter where the team finish this year. It's about playing the right way. But where they are at the moment in the table, um, you know, sixth, and, and they're not that far behind from, from fourth, they would want to try and, and make up that distance to Dortmund. Um, or maybe even if it's Gladbach that slipped further down, Schalke will have a one eye on that fourth spot to get back into the Champions League. So it's what they do in order to get the club there. And it's it's a bit of a Hobson's choice for, for David Wagner. I don't envy him at all. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? 
Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. This is it. As you mentioned, Chris, they're only three points off Dortmund sitting in fourth. So, it, you know, the, the possibilities of Champions League football are still well and truly alive. Um, Manu, let, let's talk um, a bit more about Bayern then. I mean, this is nine goals in two games um, on this side of Christmas. And they look as strong as they ever have under Flick. And it, you know, it wasn't even a full-strength side, you would say, Um but they're just looking ever so impressive. And Bayern like to do this, don't they? You know, when the other teams maybe uh, stumble or, or hesitate to, to take the opportunity, Bayern just get it together and score goals uh, when it matters. Yeah, they took full advantage of um, Schalke's performance. And uh, that is that is one of their biggest strengths. They... They're almost like a like sharks, you know. When they when they smell blood in the water, they will come for you and they will get you. And it doesn't matter who you are in the world. Um, remember that Tottenham score, right? Even if Bayern are not the best Bayern side, if they sense weakness, they will they will take full advantage, and that means usually a high scoreline. I mean, Tottenham got got smashed seven two, Schalke now five 0 When Dortmund were in the Allianz Arena, it was four 0 right? Um, if you're not in your game against that side you will not walk away with a pretty scoreline and you know this is this is a team that when they sense that weakness they will not beat you by two or three goals they will hammer home as many as they can and they will never be satisfied and i think that is that is something very bayern like the the question then of course is was this result down to schalke being bad and they were rare they were really bad or bayern just really good and i think you know, in this, in the sense, and this is something that I tweeted after the game. For me personally, this performance was better than the one against Dortmund by Bayern because it was just the way the interlink worked between the different sets of of the field. Um, Alfonso Davies, for example, on left back was outstanding. David Alaba has been playing fantastic football as a centre back, even though that is not his role. Um, Thomas Müller, I thought, was fantastic. Um, you know, he had a he had a goal chalked off because of offside, and you know, I I thought actually the way he handled that situation as well. He said, "Well, offside is offside. End of story." You know, there wasn't any complaints about VAR or anything. They just kept going on with it, and I think that shows you um, that the mentality is quite all right, and that they're playing really under the, the head coach. Flick has fixed that dressing room. And that is maybe the, the the worst news for the rest of the Bundesliga. The good news is that I don't think that team is that strong. Um, you know, they, they're only always a couple injuries away from things falling apart. And they are carrying carried by individual performances. And I think that if you are going in there with the right tactical plan, like Leverkusen did, for example, right, then you can take points off Bayern. It is not, and I think Kimmich even mentioned this in an interview on Kicker on Monday. He said, like, we're not in a stage where we were under Pep Guardiola, where we walked on the pitch and we knew we would win. You know, we just knew we would win every game. 
And right now that's not the case. The rest of the league has gotten better and we're just not as good as we used to be. So I think that is maybe something that the rest of the league can take away. This side is beatable, but if they play well, like they did on Saturday, it's going to be very hard to beat them. Yeah, absolutely. Very impressive. And one man that uh, I was particularly impressed with was Leon Goretzka getting a goal and an assist. Another person that got a goal and assist was Robin Lewandowski. And Chris, I mean, 21 goals in 19 games. Just phenomenal. I mean, it seems like we say this all the time, but he, he really is fantastic. And one that we'll remember for many, many, many years. Yeah, I also think he thrives on competition. So... When Timo Werner steps up to the plate, you normally see um, Lewandowski do it the, the game after. That happened last weekend. Um, I thought Lewandowski had a great performance again in um, against Hertha Berlin, and Werner had lit up the the stage the night before. You know, fast forward a week, and everybody's talking about Haaland's five goals in what fifty seven minutes, and then all of a sudden. Lewandowski's back on the score sheet and playing really well. I genuinely think he likes the challenge of of going up against someone. Look what having to go up against Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang did to him. It brought out the real best of him. And and I think he thrives on that challenge. I I think if he's the only top striker in the league, not that he gets gets a bit stagnated, but I think he performs better when he's being chased by somebody um, for, for... for the for the Torch Cannon at the end of the season or whether for just general adulation. But yeah, he, he is excellent. And yeah, as is Thomas Muller, that was his 100th goal in the um, Allianz Arena, I believe. So yeah, all in all, an excellent night's work for Bayern Munich. And yeah, you're quite right, Bryce. They seem to come to the fore um, at the right time, which is what champions do. You don't win the league seven seasons on the run um, by fluke. Yeah, absolutely. Very positive signs for Bayern. They're they're definitely um, in a good way at the moment. They have minds coming up next. Oh, Manu, just before we uh, move on, actually, um, there's a rather unfamiliar name on the bench for Bayern um, this weekend. Um, what can you tell us about this uh, this new signing? Yeah, Alvaro Triozola. Um, I hope I said that right. So if you're a Spanish listener and I butchered that name, I, I apologize. I will try to do better. But um, I don't think quite the signing a lot of Bayern fans were hoping for. Um, they, they got this deal done. It's a free loan from Real Madrid. Uh, so the team name that he's coming from is the right team name, I would say, when it comes to Bayern. But, I mean, this is there's a reason he hasn't been playing at Real Madrid a lot. And there's a reason why Real Madrid basically sent him on loan to a team that you would consider a Champions League competitor. Um, so I reserve judgment on this this loan signing. It's it's a death signing, in my opinion. It's a player who was available. They could get in for almost nothing. So, you know, they, they went for it. And I, I'm not sure that that's what the public expected. You know, one problem that I have currently... With a lot of the transfers that are going on, um, they have this expensive youth academy, right? And they're not really bringing in a lot of players. Joshua Tirkse had some really good games. Yes, Davies is playing very strong, but he's not technically a Bayern youth product. He's He was developed by the Whitecaps in Canada. And now they're bringing in this, this player who's essentially a depth signing. And I think if you are a club of Bayern statue, 
you don't want to bring in players on loan from Barcelona and Real Madrid all the time. You know, like Hamas was such an example. Coutinho, you are a club that's going to sign the very best um, from the very best clubs around the world. And the rest of those players that you can't get from those other best clubs in the world, you develop yourself. And I, 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 this is just something that I find um, I, I struggled a little bit with this transfer. I, I wrote an article on, on Forbes about it and um, I, I see this as a short-term solution. And I think they need to be a much more creative next summer when it comes to bringing in players because that creativity is lacking and it might be enough right now in the Bundesliga to stay competitive. And yes, you have the likes of Davies that worked out really well, but you know they better sign someone like Leroy Sané Acha from Kimi is linked from Borussia Dortmund. You know, he's going back to Real. They're trying to get him. I don't think Real will actually give him to him, but it's just my opinion. But they need to do... They're Bayern, you know. They're not um, a, They're not any other club. They're Bayern Munich. And if you're Bayern Munich and you're one of the best, the five most recognized clubs in the world, then you need to act accordingly, in my opinion. Yeah, well, let's just see how their transfers go in the uh, final days or the next few windows. <laughs> Let's move on then. Chris, we're going to move to you and move to Sunday, uh, where we're going to talk about Bayer Leverkusen. As the last game of the weekend, they absolutely tormented Fortuna Dusseldorf for that 3-0 win. There was plenty of talk before this and over the winter break that Kai Havertz has not quite been the same player he was last year. We do have to remember he is still only 20 years old. 17 goals last season in total, but only three going into this game, but he managed to get a fourth. Uh, Chris, how good were Bayer Leverkusen and how good was Kai Havertz? They were both. Um, they were both very good. Um, Kai Havertz, especially Leverkusen, on the whole. Um, I think if any other side apart from Dusseldorf had played them that weekend, they could have seen themselves either on on a defeat or a draw. Um, but they got the goals when it when it really mattered, and yeah, Kai Havertz's his, his header to open the score in just before half time on forty minutes was uh, was a really nice work goal, the sort of attacking play you expect under Peter Bosch, um, a really nice fast lightning move with a precision cross that Havertz met beautifully and nodded away. It was a real good team goal, um, one certainly to clap out when I was there and watch. Um, but yeah. They ended up winning 3-0, um, penalty coming in the very last minute, but it was a well-deserved win. Kai Havertz looked um, looked back to his best, or certainly getting back to his best. Um, his movement off the ball, I think, is excellent, and that's not just movement. That might sound odd, but like all good players, he knows when to remain static, he knows when to move centrally, he knows when to pull out wide, he knows when to put a burst on. He knows when to stop. He, he's got it all, um, and it's good to see him playing like that. But every time I go and see Bayer Leverkusen, I've been lucky enough to see them. Um, I think that's the third time I've seen them in just over a month. Um, Moussa Diaby is a real player for me, Bryce. Um, he is every inch the, the sort of winger that, that I would want um, because he can do it on either side of the pitch. Um, he, he's almost given a free license to Rome at times by Peter Bosch. Um, he was almost free through on goal early on. Uh, Matthias Zimmerman made a fantastic stop to, to get back. He's a real good quality player um, and a, a very typical Bayer Leverkusen signing. Um, and yeah, he looks like he's coming good, but 
back to your original question, how good was Kai Havertz? He was very good, Bryce. Good to hear. And yes, Diaby, as you said, um, a typical Bayer Leverkusen signing, only 20 years old as well. Really um, quite an exciting uh, prospect there as well. Um, Chris, um, I mean, just if we touch a little bit more on Bayer Leverkusen, I mean, just... um, how far do you think they can go this season? We talked plenty about Peter Boskin, how they're a bit up and down. They like to score. They like to concede. But they're sitting in fifth at the moment. You're six points off the top. Maybe a, would you know a, a possible title race, including Bayer Leverkusen, be a step too far? Or Champions League, is that about as far as they can really aim? I think a title race might just be a little bit beyond them because you still don't know what you're going to get um you know, Fortuna stuff hadn't been playing particularly well of late, but they still created opportunities. If you look at the sides above them, um, I don't think they would still make them sorts of mistakes. I mean, Peter Bosch plays great football. Um, Manu asked him about defending when we were there. Yeah, he's aware of it, but I still don't buy the answer that he gave to Manu um, when we were in the buy arena, that, that he's all over it. They still do look a bit defensively... Um, suspect at times and I think that would stop them from being genuine title contenders but as you say they're fifth on 34 points Leipzig are top on 40 you know there's a number of teams um, in between them there and they're certainly in the mix I, I do though think at the moment we have the right six teams at the top of the table and whether they're in that order come the end of the season we'll, we'll wait to see but by Leverkusen are definitely up there um, as a Schalke this year and they're two sides that should be there um, and Frankfurt have fallen off but for me the, the top six sides in the, in the Bundesliga table at the minute Leipzig, Bayern, Gladbach, Dortmund, Leverkusen and Schalke are the six best sides so um, yeah it'll be interesting to see I think they could do quite well in the Europa League when that comes back um, it's a competition that Peter Bosch knows well and um, with his time at Ajax didn't do particularly good um, obviously after that but um, yeah, I think that's an avenue for them to look at. That might be their best way of getting back into the Champions League because I think they are the fifth best side in Germany, which would um, preclude them from entering next season's Champions League. Yes, games coming up for Bayer Leverkusen against seventh place Hoffenheim and then taking on Borussia Dortmund sitting in fourth either side of a Pokal game. Um, it could be interesting if they can get um, four or more points out of those games. Um, Chris, um, just before we go to Manu, um, what can you say about Fortuna? Obviously, they were beaten convincingly 3-0. They're at the bottom of the table. Um, was was there anything positive that you can take from the game? You, you were there. Any positive signs? I'm clutching at straws here, maybe. Um, oh, they did play some real good football in bursts, um, and they did give um, Leverkusen a real scare. Um, they probably should have notched a couple of goals, but um, I know Manu's going to go into this in, in more depth. I don't know that they're they're where they are at the moment, which is rock bottom. Um, for me, it looks like their stay in the Bundesliga could be coming to an end. Um, but I don't know if um, Funkel's the right man for them to go forward. Um, they've spent a lot of money for um, for for a club of their size, seven million euros, to bring in um, Dawid Kawanaki. And I'm sorry if I butchered his name. Um, for you brought him in from Sampdoria. He's only started eleven of the seventeen games he's been available for. Is that the sort of consistency you need for a player coming into a new league? 
um, for that sort of price. And why sh- some people listening may scoff at seven million. That's a lot of money um, for a club like Fortuna Dusseldorf. And you know, he, he's one of a, a number of players that were were brought in and, and maybe haven't been utilised as much. Um, however. Right at the end of the game, Bryce, they allowed by Leverkusen 26 shots on goal. 11 of those were on target. Um, how it ended 3-0, I'll never know because it could have been double that. Had they been playing Bayern at the Allianz and played the same way, I think we could have been looking at double figures over the weekend. Yeah, for Fortuna, things aren't looking too good. That's one win in their last nine matches in the Bundesliga. Manu, yeah, we're going to go to you and talk to you, get get your opinion on Fortuna. Do you see them finding any way to survive the drop at this rate? Oh, I think they need to play a bit different football. Um, it, it's interesting that we have that as one of our topics because I actually spoke to Lutz today on the phone. Um, you know, those those who, who know me, I know Lutz van Stiel quite well and we speak often and um, we, there will be a piece tomorrow, um, or by the time this podcast comes out, uh, will be a piece on Transfermarkt, um, an in-depth piece about him, but also about Fortuna Düsseldorf and the transfers of this season and the the relationship between him and Friedhelm Funke. And, you know, there is no ultimatum for Friedhelm Funke. Um, they, they very much want to make this work, but at the same time, you know, this is what Lutz said to me, results matter. And, I think there is a bit of a disconnect between Lutz, who is a very progressive person. When those who know Lutz and who those who listen to our podcast when we had Lutz on know he's a sporting director who who has a depth of experience when it comes to scouting, who knows players around the world. Um, he he was the guy who discovered Roberto Firmino, for example, right? Um, the guy who discovered Joe Linton, and he he has brought in young players. And um, I did the numbers today. Since he's joined Fortuna Düsseldorf, Fortuna Düsseldorf's average transfer market, transfer market, uh, transfer value, market value has gone up from 53 million to almost 100 million. That's significant considering that they have the lowest budget in the league, right? So they, they, they spent the money and they brought in an added value, but the value is not being put on the pitch. And this is something that he, I think, finds very frustrating at the moment. And I think, you look at some of the young players that could come in and one of the quotes that he said to me, well, yes, experience is important, but you know, you also need young talent to provide a spark. So that's a little bit of a preview for the article tomorrow. And I, I think that says quite a lot. That says quite a lot about the relationship maybe with Funko, but also it says about something about the fact that there is very much a vision in place of what Fortuna want to achieve. And Chris mentioned David Kovnatsky. Yeah, they spent 7.1 million euros on him. Um, I got tr- corrected today on his transfer figure, by the way, Chris. Apparently, we got it wrong, so we, I have to fix it. But um, he hasn't been utilized the way that many wanted to. And I think that is something that needs to change very quickly if they want to turn things around. Yeah, it looks like something's going to have to change for Fortuna. Um, it looks like... Um, well, being a rather bleak second half uh, of the season for them. Um, guys, that more or less does it for today's uh, podcast. Um, Chris, apart from uh, being very eager to get to bed tonight, um, well, what have you got coming up this coming week? I've got a couple more things coming out on Forbes. Um, just waiting for the right time for those to come out, really. I'd, I've got a great piece still stacked up with Schalke, but... 
I, I don't really think after a 5-0 drubbing um, away to the um, champions Bayern in the Allianz is probably the best time to release that. So I'll just keep hold of it. It's a timeless piece anyway, so it's nothing nothing major. Um, but yeah, I mean, check out the, the piece I wrote on, um, on Halland. Um, I mean, there's a number of pieces there. Obviously, the, the match reports that I did for fushballstat.com are all online from the three games that I went to. So, um, yeah, just check them out. And Manu, what about you? What have you got coming up uh, this coming week? Well, I mentioned it, Fun and Steel interview tomorrow. Um, it will be up first in German. That's just because of the time difference. The, the German, you know, it, it will be sent in tonight. And then they're going to go over it. There will be a press release and they will they will send it out. So And then it will be available on all platforms and all languages. So if you want to read it in Spanish, go ahead. It will be available in Spanish on the um, .es site. It will be on the .com and the .us. Um, there is quite a bit on Sack Stefan. So if you're listening in from the US, this will be quite interesting. If you're listening in from Manchester City, actually, it will be interesting for you too because... Um, he talks a bit about his relationship to Manchester City as well. So I think it's going to be really interesting in that regard. So that's out tomorrow. I also have that interview of Jesse Marsh still up. Um, if you haven't read it yet, it's also on Transfermarkt. And then, of course, I did a piece on Danny Olmo joining um, Leipzig. That's for Forbes. And I also have a piece on Otto Sola, also uh, on Forbes.com. Um, yeah. I think that covers it. And then, of course, you can find all my work at uh, transfermarkt.com.us.uk and then on the, the usual stuff on the Football Grad Network. So it's been busy, Bryce, but really good. Good to hear. You guys are always busy. And yes, um, I, I suppose until next week, that more or less does it. I, I suppose I look forward to the games this weekend. We've got Hertha Berlin versus Schalke starting off the weekend. We've got Dortmund versus Union Berlin, another exciting one, but it's really about that late kickoff game, isn't it? On Saturday, RB Leipzig taking on Borussia Mönchengladbach. All I can say is make sure to tune in and enjoy it. We'll be back with a new podcast before you know it. I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at BryceDunn11. Until then, I'll be in. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.